0: Hi, this is the Reverend Andrew Christensen. You're listening to Doth Protest Too Much. We are a Christ-centered, reformationally-minded podcast that explores the history and theology of the Christian Church. This podcast originally started as a forum for discussing the developmental history of Christian thought, what is often called historical theology, and it has since grown into an ecumenical team of hosts, myself, Stephen Burnett, Pastor Charlie Lehman, and the Reverend James Rickenbaker. We're all interested in the past, present, and future of the Church. We share a commitment to the central place that grace has in the message of the good news, a message we feel often gets lost in our day and age, sometimes in religion itself. A message that is of God's goodwill toward us as echoed in the following words from St. Paul. This is a true saying, and worthy of all men to be received, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief one. I pray that the discussions in our episodes, whether casual or scholarly, can speak to how the story and witness of Christians from our past can comfort and strengthen us for today. God bless. Hello, everyone, and Merry Christmas. Uh, You're listening to Doth Protest Too Much, and this is a last-minute episode. Um, And Sometimes maybe these ones can be the best ones, but James is joining me here. We decided to get together. It is Christmas Day, Christmas of 2022, and by the time you're listening to this, it may be December 26th or 27th, or maybe even into January, but of course, Christmas is 12 days long. Um, and so, um, that it will pertain just as much to really um, any day of the year you listen to this because we're talking about the incarnation, uh, and the importance of Christmas. Um, and so let's kind of do a check in with both of us. It's we've haven't had an episode several weeks, so um, James, what's going on in your world?
1: Um, things are going. Pretty well, all things considered. We had a great Christmas Eve and Christmas Day uh, series of services. We had three last night and one this morning. Um, lots of people came, some new families, which is always a blessing in a parish. Um, and family's doing well. Um, my in-laws are in town and um, probably going to see about uh, visiting with my parents Um sometime in the early part of the new year to do a late Christmas with them. But, uh,
0: but yeah, cool. How about you? Uh, um, things are well. I had my, my last service was uh, where I have been serving the last year and a half uh, in Lafayette was last night. Uh, I served at two of our three Christmas Eve services, um, And of course, our most attended one was the first, which is like, you know, includes the pageant in the uh, service. And so that's the biggest turnout Um, is nice, bittersweet, you know, um, really, I started my next call uh, a week from today. And, um, and, uh, which is, of course, the Feast of the Holy Name, um, and also known as Circumcision Day. We're getting a little ahead of ourselves because we're not really talking about circumcision. We're talking about incarnation today at our podcast today. But, right. but the <laughs> next Sunday is where uh, the reading of Jesus is circumcision. Right. Um, and so uh, I actually wrote the sermon already. This is the first time in my ordained ministry. I think when I was in seminary, I had some sermons written way ahead of time. But since being ordained minister, I have not written any sermon this uh, this early um i'd like to say this is a new habit but i don't think it's gonna (laughs) so yeah but uh writing that sermon even though yes it's on you know feast of the holy name not on Christmas. it's not about you know it's not a christmas day sermon uh the similar themes of god becoming flesh and god becoming human um uh it's fresh in my mind from writing that so uh you know when we kind of talked about we were on a little chat on our you know i think it's facebook messenger texting and we decided to do this episode that's the topic we being christmas that's the topic we kind of i kind of just you know first thing that shot out of my mind was to do it on this so sure. yeah we'll talk about that today um but yeah, everything else um is fine we're going to we're going doing a getaway to new orleans for the next couple of days we'll leave tomorrow nice and, um which we've always loved doing between Christmas and New Year's Day. We've done it a lot um, as we, I mean, Rachel, my wife and I. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just a good time to go. I think Um, it's a good time kind of in the church life. A lot of it, you know, and of course I've been in the school and church life past few years, everything's kind of just dies down in those that period between Christmas and New Year's. um, And so there's, you at least have a little bit of time to do stuff that you would not on a lot of other during a lot of the rest of the year so sure um but yeah and um so i guess we could dig into the incarnation um and why it is important it might seem kind of obvious to our listeners um but what is important about god becoming a human uh i feel like i'm like giving it feels like a goe question or some geo <laughs> right our listeners uh we're tested um when you go into the ordained ministry in the Episcopal church they have something called the general ordination exam and um there's been some criticisms of of the exam overall and it's uh if it's really fulfilling its purpose um <laughs> right i remember a crusty old dean who is mm-hmm. actually my dean in seminary right you wrote some stuff about it which is but you know i'm i'm but yeah that uh, so i was that's what i meant by the reference to goe but that that could be like a question on there you know they t- ask your sure. like, theology questions and stuff like that but um yeah uh you i don't know james what do you think
1: well i mean for one thing if it was a goe question i'd have three and a half hours to answer <laughs> but uh but I think I think one of the things that we think about when we think about the incarnation is the fact that God took on human flesh, which is the the reality of the incarnation, to bridge the divide that we created by sin. And that is something that that Jesus, God with us, does in his very person. Mm-hmm. Bridges the divide between God and humanity. Um, so, I mean, we could dig into that a little bit, or we can mm-hmm. just keep giving some some bullet points. What do you think?
0: Well, I I spent I I know this is going to be an impromptu um, episode with no prep, but I did spend some time uh, revisiting some of Athanasius's writings because I I feel like he was in the history of the church. He was definitely the first and probably still the chief theologian to emphasize so strongly um the incarnation and god becoming flesh in the person of jesus christ and uh i don't know do you want to talk about him (laughs) for a little bit sure that's fine with me um well for our listeners uh he actually showed up in our theologians podcast um he was one of my he was on my top five list. Um he uh he was the chief opponent to the Arians Arian movement, which were a group of Christians in the, I guess this would have been the was it the third century? I keep getting it mixed up. It's I think the it's fourth. Third going into fourth, right? Yeah. Um and of course they Arius had this uh belief that uh jesus is uh not quite god um in a way we can say he is um and i you know i can see where even like a lot of um a lot of christians even today can kind of fall into this because you know we know there's a trinity we know there's a god the father uh distinct from like a god the son and so we think well you know like fathers fathers are above their children right so a father is above their son um so that means jesus is you know perhaps less than the father that's and that's what arius taught and arius also taught you know uh more definitely more controversially that jesus um well there was a time when there was not a jesus what he means by that is that there's uh this there was always a god the father but there was never a god um the son so and what i like a lot about athanasius is that he constantly goes to scripture to mm-hmm. to correct this right um i'm not going to get in the argument if he was like a proto sola scriptura i actually looked some of that up in um right and there were some catholic commentators that very, felt very strongly about not uh ascribing that position to him <laughs> but of course they would uh right. but but you know uh as I read,
1: self-preservation
0: yeah as i read it um mm. you know kind of the principle that the scripture outweighs any other form of authority which is what solar scripture is uh, right i think a lot of people misunderstand solar scripture and I, for our listeners we've done episodes on this in the past um about what solar scripture properly is at least as it was in the first stages of the Reformation what Luther held it to be is that there are other forms of authority, and but the scripture um, is the ultimate authority in the, in the measuring stick of all other authorities. It's right. not necessarily to say, oh, because it's not in the Bible, I can't do it. That's not exactly what solo scripture is. Some Protestant developments went that direction, but it's not what it classically meant. So, um, but I feel like Athanasius is kind of using a proto- has like a, uh, it's like a proto-soul scripture principle. He's kind of using when he's combating the Arians And Athanasius was controversial himself. I mean, I guess he did, you know, there's historians speculate whether he did some backhanded deals with different bishops and whatnot. But I mean, gosh, the guy had to have been strong in his conviction. He faced multiple exiles and all that. So, Mm -hmm. but yeah, yeah. not that we are going to do an episode about him, but I'm just saying he's kind of been fresh in my mind on that. Sure. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> yeah. Well, and another point that is perhaps, you know, pretty obvious is that if Jesus wasn't born, if God wasn't born into the world, then he couldn't die. mm mm-hmm. So that's one of the things that I hit in my sermon last night um, and today was that Christ was born for the purpose of dying for us and rising again for us. Um, and I mean, yeah, he couldn't he couldn't have done that if he if he if he wasn't born. Um,
0: yeah, there's um the manger and the cross are completely linked um and like i found in um kind of in, in in kind of liturgical christian culture we sometimes like to isolate our seasons from one another not intentionally but i think it's what ends up happening is we like to like um, well, we're not, you know, and you see it with uh, the people I call the Advent police to say,
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's not December
0: 25th yet. So you can't have a Christmas tree up or something like that. You know, then they kind right. of, invent their all, their own arbitrary rules to say, well, Advent four is the time to do it. Okay. Right. Sorry. Sorry. I did it on Advent too, you know, uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's like, no. I mean,
1: I did, I did it the week after Thanksgiving.
0: Um, yeah. Right? Yeah. We're normies. We do. Yeah. I did right. that actually no i was actually a little late i was uh i was after i was between advent two and three i believe that was the week rachel and i put our tree up in the house uh,
1: and like the 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 trouble is that and this is one of the things that that always somewhat bothered me in seminary was the trouble is that people radicalize any position Mm -hmm. and i feel like clergy are kind of the worst about this (laughs) so so it's like you know basically every year jesus is born again yeah and every year during lent uh a, a, on good friday you can probably hear my daughter crying upstairs um, i don't but that's okay well uh <laughs> every year jesus you know dies again on good friday and rises again he rises Sunday. again
0: yeah. And, yeah, don't, and, yeah don't be happy in lent because jesus has not risen yet yeah it's almost yeah, like we're reliving it's like we're not reliving in that sense, right? Right. <laughs> reliving well, the... like
1: you know and and i know this is probably gonna be unpopular for some episcopalians too but like i don't quite understand why we don't say hallelujah during lent right you know, it's, it's like hallelujah is, is a is a statement of praise to god like mm-hmm. when you're when you are in a state of repentance when you are repenting from your sins and recognizing you know god's saving grace of course you're gonna praise him like that, that right. should be the natural move that you make mm-hmm. and so uh when, when i when i first came here and started um, having conversations with um, the Orthodox priest, who's the rector of the, um, the congregation um, that we own their property. Mm -hmm. Um, He's like, yeah, I don't understand the West. He's like, we, we say alleluia more during Lent. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And you know, and uh, for all their faults, that's one thing that I think the Orthodox get right. So
0: I don't get, um, well i i don't get really uh the extending it to advent that's what i really throws me for because i because there's hymns on our hymnal for advent that have the word hallelujah in it. so you know it's funny you like when, when maybe a certain church really wants to maintain no hallelujahs and advent it's like well now you got to be selective on what hymns you pick so because there's a few in there a few good ones too i can not write the top of my head but um but um, yeah doesn't
1: um, um he comes with clouds descending have hallelujah in it
0: i believe that yes because we did sing that one at Ascension. yeah um yeah and i mean ascension wasn't a church that was hard on that i mean we didn't have it we didn't say it during the eucharist stuff but you know right um but you know um we we did not bury the hallelujah as a um and i don't know for our listeners who who don't know much about the anglo-catholic culture that's something that i guess high church anglo catholics certain ones will do is in yeah. and what is it what do they dig did they dig a hole or something like that what is what do they, uh, do? they make a lot of it i don't even well
1: yes anglo catholics can make a ritual out of anything
0: <laughs> <laughs> but
1: <laughs> the only time that i've ever had a liturgized ritualized version of getting rid of the Alleluia is actually in the elca church that i went to when i was in college oh really yeah uh they they had this little thing in the service on the Sunday before Ash Wednesday where they said goodbye to the Alleluia. <clears throat> but yeah, I never I I've never quite understood that. Um and I mean well, when I was a kid, I was of course very legalistic about it because kids are like the epitome of legalists. Um but uh you were
0: legalistic about that I was
1: very legalistic about not saying Alleluia. oh okay. Like I, I became the hallelujah Police, ah, um, and now I look back and shudder because, like, that's just that, thats not that's not the ditch to die in.
0: No, um, we got on this whole. It's not a digression. This episode is kind of a, di- uh, maybe a series of digressions by the nature of <laughs> this episode that we're doing today. But with the reason I talked about, um, uh, the. The tendency to like in in very high liturgical mindedness to like uh, emphasize a theme of one season so much that it ends up being to the exclusion of what other seasons are about. So you don't see the unity of the yeah. church year. You don't see why Christmas Advent compliments Christmas, which complements Epiphany. How they all complement each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when that happens, you get lost, like the the important link of the manger to the cross gets lost. Um, right. I think it's all one summative um, story. Well, and I don't want to say story, but but just and and I think Athanasius, going back to him, not that I meant to do the circle to circle back like that, but um, the importance of the incarnation is precisely what you said uh, is the importance of God becoming flesh because God became flesh to face the toils and temptations that we in the flesh face and go through right. and then to, to suffer a mortal death. Right. Um, For our sake, it's all, it's all something for our sake. Right. And right. That's what I really liked about Athanasius is that, you know, God didn't have to do this, but he does it for you. Um, right. You
1: know, but that, so that's one of the things that when, um, during Lent, we, um, when we read the lessons about the temptation in the desert, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that I did was I I talked about the fact in, in the sermon that Sunday, I talked about the fact that everything that Jesus did in the desert was rolling back the clock on Israel's disobedience. Mm-hmm. So um, like you just, it's basically like a commentary in that one passage on all of the horrible stuff that Moses recounted in Deuteronomy. Right. And it's, it's Jesus being obedient where Israel is disobedient. It's Jesus um, fulfilling the law where Israel broke the law. Mm-hmm. And so the incarnation is important because Jesus is the perfect human being at the same time as he is also perfect God. And because he fulfilled the law on our behalf, the law no longer binds us. And I'm spitballing here. So if I say something wrong, feel free to correct me, but the law no longer binds us in the same way that it bound the people who were under the covenant because mm-hmm. Christ fulfilled that covenant. And we are members of the new covenant. Mm -hmm. which is simply a recapitulation of the covenant that God made with Abraham by grace through faith.
0: Yeah, yeah, that reminded me of when you brought up the uh, Jesus time in the wilderness, it reminded me of a quote. I remember sharing it and I pulled it up while you were, and I was listening to you as I was pulling it up. Sure. Um, (laughs) It was by Thomas Scott. um, There is something suitable and grand in the idea that as Satan baffled man in the garden, Christ, the second Adam, should baffle him in the wilderness um that was uh like you said he's walking back he's almost like reversing um what happens in the case of like moses and the israelites in the wilderness it even like can be seen as walking back what happened in the garden absolutely um, you know and uh yeah that's yeah I don't know. I have nothing else to say. I just think it's, um, yeah.
1: Well, and, um, I think that, I think that Christmas is often underrated, not just because people don't think about the incarnation, not to say that the incarnation began on Christmas because Christ was incarnate in the womb. Um, Mm -hmm.
0: that's a good point.
1: But, uh, yeah, I, I do. I think a lot of people do refer to the feast of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ as the feast of the incarnation. But as someone rightly and snarkily pointed out the other day on social media, the feast of the incarnation is actually the Annunciation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think he's right. Um, but the uh, the trouble is that people get so caught up in all of the expectations of secular christmas mm-hmm. that they lose sight of the import of christmas itself like what it is actually intending to convey mm-hmm. um and it's intending to convey that you know what we heard last night and uh what was it isaiah nine that that The one who was foretold the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace has been born into the world Mm -hmm. Um, and that it doesn't just stop there. Uh, He was obedient even to the point of death on the cross and in dying for our sins and rising again for our justification. The incarnation is the effectual end of the reign of Satan and, and sin and death um but of course the 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 zenith the the pinnacle of the incarnation is the cross and resurrection but but i don't think that it's helpful to give the rest short shrift because christ was um the second adam in the sense that where adam failed christ prevailed Mm -hmm. um so yeah it's it it's very easy for us like my, my whole sermon, not to rehash all of this, um, but most of the people who are listening to this probably didn't hear my sermon anyway. So
0: right. <laughs> you can preach um, away. I mean, it's right, <laughs> but
1: the the you know, everybody likes to have some semblance of novelty in their sermons for Christmas Eve because um there are a lot of um CEOs, Christmas and Easter only folks mm-hmm. who um who, who come Every Christmas, and they're like, We sing the same stuff every time I come to church, and, and I hear the same sermon, which obviously is just ridiculous. But, um, mm-hmm. but in a, to a certain extent, it's not, um, because you know, the same thing needs to be preached each week that we're made <laughs> right with God, justified by grace alone through faith alone. But, um, but what I said last night was, um, that we're told that we need all of these things in life. Um, you, you know, especially around Christmas, you need to get this new car at this discounted rate from the local dealership. You need to get this new streaming service. That's the 1 millionth streaming service that's opened up in the last 20 minutes. Um, you need to get, uh, the newest status symbol or the best toy for your kid. When I preached the sermon this morning, I added in a, a reference to jingle all the way. Um, that great cinematic classic. Yes. Yeah. Uh, where Arnold Schwarzenegger eventually becomes convinced that his son is not going to be successful in life unless he gets this toy. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, but I, I, I said, you know, the word need is pretty heavy and it, it has a lot of meaning. Like if you need something, it's because you have to have it to survive. You have to have it to thrive. And so ultimately the one thing that we need in life is we need Jesus we need a savior. And the reality and the beauty of Christmas is that we have a savior who was born for us, died for us, rose again for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was perhaps a little bit of a fresh perspective for some folks, but it's just a retelling of the same old beautiful story.
0: Um, when you're talking about, well, you made their jingle all the way reference. You're talking about the the things the that we need, I, uh, there was a, a fitness app. I, I'm like, we're all so, we're all susceptible to like all this stuff all the time. Sure. I, download, I download this, this like fitness app that like, um, you know, gets, sold you this promise. Like you want your body looking like, you know, the ideal way you want it to look like, you know, just give you a few steps to do type thing. And, and, uh, right. this app will show you how, and I like downloaded it and I answered like this questionnaire they had. Um, and it like it made you feel like good about because it, it it like you know asked, you know, how uh how often do you work out? Uh what kind of things are you? Was thinking? it noom? What's that? Was it noom? No, it wasn't that. It was okay. probably something just like that. But yeah. and I filled out all these questions. I felt, man, I'm excited about this. And then it said, uh all right now here's the uh subscription options one month for this month so i was like oh man i thought it was just gonna be some free like advice. free advice yeah <laughs> <laughs> no no that doesn't exist yeah <laughs> free advice does not exist yeah yeah so um yeah it's a. Uh, it does show though that um you know that that sense of like uh inadequacy and not enoughness not to sound like david's all at my right but there's nothing wrong with sounding like him sure but, sure because <laughs> you know, he speaks truth and we've had him on here speaking that truth right um uh, we all carry it around in some some you know and uh when you say yeah we what we really need what we ultimately need and in a sense what we only need is a savior um that uh When you really, when that, we know that in theory, we know that we know that's truth, like you and I do, but sometimes you just really see it practically play out in your life where you realize because of the power of prayer, because at that moment when I was going through this, I knew God was there, you know. Right. Even if you realize it later. Um, Right. That's what really matters. And the only thing that matters at the end of the day. and so hopefully our Christ- Christmas homilies and messages can instill that. Right. Um, remember that when the I wasn't there when um Mark Mattis came on the podcast and yeah, he did that, he wrote that article about Christmas and Easter only Christians. And yep. I'll put a link into the show notes here. It's also in the show notes to that episode um that we did with Mark Mattis back in, I think it was like late November. Right. But uh, and I won't spoil it. But he chooses um, to preach the Christmas message a certain way than what he s- sees. Perhaps uh, some of his colleagues will do because um, he really just wants to hit home um, the full the full story, the <laughs> involving the incarnation, but the death, the resurrection, right? Everything Christ has done and is for you, because there's probably not going to be another time of year they get that, right? outside of christmas and easter so yeah and I, the, the way he framed it it's a really a great opportunity that we as preachers have on those days
1: right and i think that's one of the reasons why it's really important to shift from first person plural we
0: to mm-hmm.
1: second person plural you or even second person singular there's that ambiguity in english that can be really helpful there that you know like Often when I'm approaching the end of a sermon, not that I can run a clinic, but, you know, when I'm when I'm preaching, one of the things that I will often do is I'll shift from first person plural at the end of the sermon to issuing the promises in the second person and saying Christ was born for you. Christ died for you. Mm -hmm. Christ is Christ rose again for you. Christ is coming back for you so that it hits home in that way, that it's real easy to sort of lose yourself in a collective. Mm -hmm. If I say we, that can become kind of a softening of the message. But if I say you, then there's no getting around it. Mm -hmm. And and even, you know, I, I don't use notes. And so when I preach, I will look people dead in the eye and say those words and I can see when it's impactful and I can see what it's embarrassing and I can see when people resonate with it. Um, and I think it's made all the difference since I've sort of begun to shift in that direction. Um, because I mean, that's what Christmas is about that Christ was born for you, you personally. Um,
0: yeah. I, um, I see the, the um, good behind the use of both. Um Sure. I will do this. Sh- I, I've i done the shift. Like you, you said, I've noticed now that you bring it up, but like in seminary, uh I, there was a lot of a sense of, you know, we were encouraged to use we, and I, and I like the use of the term we in a lot yeah. of ways, because it doesn't, it involves me, the person up here preaching to you in the same thing that you are. So it's not like, I'm somewhere that it's not like I'm somewhere that you're not, that you need to get up here to where I'm at. Cause I'm the one preaching. I'm the pastor. I'm the, you know, the priest. Right. I'm right. Holy or something, you know, it involves me in the same broken sinfulness as, as everyone in the room um, and perhaps like notions of solidarity. There's, there's this, I like the term of we for that, but also, like you said, to shift to you, especially when you're driving the message home, Um, because um, they need to know um, how personal this this is and how like you said um, they as an individual matters right right and you know personal salvation is a real thing I know some in our you know Circles may don't like the emphasis on that, or you know, they like the collective more. They think personal salvation sounds too fundamentalist or something, but it's real, and um, and it's more than just oh, I'm going to heaven as opposed to going to hell. It's it it permeates every every much more than that. It's it's you know, it's a constant comfort and reassurance to a Christian in their daily walk to know personal salvation. Which they had nothing to do with, and right? It, it was God who became man, is what who secured that f- for for you, for us, you know, right? So. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah.
1: Well, and, and, well, another another aspect of Christmas that I think is often neglected is that we have this massive lead up to Christmas, the you know the the time of Advent that for many people is just about being penitent because Christ is going to be born, (laughs) (laughs) which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But like if you ask someone sort of cold, that that's going to be some, something like the answer you're going to get and it's dissonant. It doesn't make sense. And so what, what is obviously the case about Advent is Advent is, That we focus our time, directly focus our time on the recognition of our sinfulness and brokenness before our all holy God in recognition that Christ is coming back to judge the living and the dead. Mm -hmm. And I think it doesn't make all that much sense if we talk about Advent in terms of the second coming, but only talk about Christmas in terms of the first Advent. The Mm -hmm. first coming. And so I think an often neglected element of Christmas is that Christ was born and arrived into the world on that first Christmas, but Christ is coming and is going to arrive into the world in his second advent. Like there is a second coming. Mm -hmm. And there are echoes of this all throughout what we talk about this day. So, like, I intentionally, whenever I'm talking to people about Christmas, try and hammer home that the fact that Christ was born for you means that he died for you, rose again. And he's coming back for you, too, because that, I think, makes Advent make more sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because if Advent is preparing for the first coming, the first coming happened 2000 years ago, Mm -hmm. but Advent is about preparing for the second coming. And Christmas, though it is the feast of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, has to have that sort of superimposed understanding that yeah, he was born, but he's also coming back.
0: Does that make sense? Yeah. But I think what the penitential what the reason why it's um some people see Advent as like another penitential season or maybe a mini lent. Um I think uh when it's only that, it's a reduction. Uh, but but i do i do see like in in the the knowledge and um understanding um and anticipation that there is indeed a second coming as there was the first um that involves um an understanding of where our li- lives as christians are oriented um and that doesn't mean no, I, You know, I think it unfortunately turns into, oh, I better be a better person right now because it's Advent. Right. People do drink land. It becomes a moralistic type of thing, you know. Right. But um, I don't know. I I think uh, with that perhaps reflection and introspection, we can give ourselves during Advent um, or that emphasis on it, it should come with joy and gratitude as well. Of course. Because uh, I think it should be Right. And so, uh, he, you know, it's it's kind of giving thanks that we have already been made right with God. For me, that's how I would see Advent. Right. Um, and to know to walk as a saint is basically just to walk as Christ's own in this life. It's not based on... It's, uh, it's not a... Being a saint, as Luther would say, is, is, Luther does not see sainthood as a moral category. It's a soteriological category. Uh, category right because it's something that he did um right and we in he makes us saints through his love for us right that was manifest in a manger and in a cross and in an empty tomb
1: right and i try i try to not talk about penitential season for advent and lent because penitence tends to convey some sort of synergism when it comes to justification. Mm-hmm. That I'm made right with God if I do this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, penitence and penance are directly linked. Mm-hmm. So I talk about Advent and Lent as a season of repentance because repentance is something that we're supposed to do every single day of our lives. Mm -hmm. But I think that repentance, when we talk about repentance, it's often lost on some people because they've been taught their whole lives that repentance means that you stop doing what you're doing. Right. But repentance is a recognition before God that we are sinners who are unable to do anything of ourselves to help ourselves. When I do something wrong if it's something that i chronically do wrong my first thought is man why can't i stop doing this mm-hmm. why can't i stop getting super angry at people when i'm driving up and down 95 like i fly off the handle and get like you know rage when i when i get cut off or something and it's like i cannot even control myself and there's a recognition that I am a miserable sinner, even though I'm a saint. I am at the same time still a miserable sinner who is constantly in need of God's grace. Mm -hmm. So I don't I don't tend to talk about penitence or penance. Because during Advent, we have this special devoted time to recognize our sinfulness and fallenness, because, as you're saying, with joy and gratitude, what we recognize that's coming Mm -hmm. The fact that Christ was born means that our Savior, the one who can rescue us from our sinfulness, has come into the world. Because Christ died on the cross, the fact that we are sinful and broken people and that we have separated ourselves from God, that bri- that, that gap has been bridged by Christ. Mm-hmm. That his obedience and his death on our behalf and his rising again all of that is this alien work that is imputed to us. The benefits of it are imputed to us so that even though we continue to sin and fall short of the glory of God, even as regenerate people, in effect, we we still have been given the benefit of Christ's redeeming work because yeah. it's by grace. It's not by our works. It's not by anything that we do, but rather it is by grace alone through faith alone. And, and that is... Again, I I say that I try and say that virtually every sermon I preach because that's the gospel message.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. So uh, yeah. Well, and going back to repentance, I have heard, and I don't. I'm not a Greek biblical scholar, so but metanoia, where the Greek term from which we get repent repentance and, and repent in our English rendering that that word it's it's like a, it means like a change of mind almost and it does you're going into the recognition right the recognition yeah. that the way i am is not good if the person who's not had a sincere repentance doesn't doesn't acknowledge like they'll, they may know what they're doing is wrong but they don't care right um it's like well i'm getting away with it right and some you know so so much so many of us do that right um but then when we're really just hit with that sorrow and that or just that feeling it's a guilt right it's a feeling of like this causes pain right this is not good for this reason or it's not right the understanding that um for a truly repentant person just hits it just hits you you know right and there's um you know, and that's, I think, that's what you know. some Jesus is going around saying this, um, he's calling for for recognition, right? Right. You know, it will involve. A, I mean, just a, a a change in orientation, which affects right. a change in lifestyle. It's, you know, it's like it's it's much more about Jesus is getting to the root of it though.
1: Right. When see, I tend to actually think about repentance when it comes to or uh, repentance in terms of the old testament understanding of the word shuv which means to turn around mm-hmm. and that is where folks get the idea of you got to stop what you're doing and that's repentance but when you look at this in light of what jesus has said especially in luke's gospel where you get the parable of the sheep and the parable of the coin the parable of the lost sheep parable of the lost coin The agent of the turning Mm -hmm. is God. In the parable of the lost sheep, the the sheep gets lost, and the shepherd goes out and finds the sheep and picks it up and brings it home. Mm -hmm. In the parable of the lost coin, the woman searches for the coin and finds the coin. It's not a matter of the coin wants to be found and...
0: You cut off, James. Okay. Uh, you go. said it's not. A, it's not the. Um, it's not that the coin wants to be found. Can you continue? It may right. come on recording, but so the, the listeners just have to hear it twice. But I, I really want to hear it.
1: Of course, for sure. sure, sure. Uh, with the parable of the lost coin, <clears throat> the coin uh, doesn't say, "I want to be found." So it, you know, jumps out back in the woman's hand. The sheep doesn't say, I want to be found. And so it turns around and comes home. The sheep is sought out. The coin is sought out. Mm -hmm. So repentance, when Jesus is talking about repentance as being turned around, God is the one who turns you around. Mm -hmm. And so even that type of repentance is an alien work because God is working in you. And this is where the recognition portion of things comes in. God is working in you to cause you to recognize your brokenness and your need for him, God is also at the same time turning you towards himself. And this is something that bugs the mess out of people who believe in free will. But where the rubber meets the road, if free will is a thing, then we're going to constantly be in peril because we're never going to live up to the demands that free will would have upon us.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When ultimately, what the truth is, is that God seeks out and saves the lost. He doesn't seek out and save the people who have helped themselves. Right. You know, the whole God helps those who help themselves thing, that's not in scripture. That's, was that Ben Franklin?
0: Well, oh, I, I definitely know it's not in scripture. Um... I'm pretty sure it was Ben Franklin. <laughs> right. There's also. I mean, taking,
1: uh... taking theological advice from a deist is probably not a good idea.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's it's also not in the Bible anywhere, uh, that God doesn't give you more than you can handle. But right. I like as I like to tell people, it's God doesn't give you God will give you more than you can handle, but he won't give you more that he can't handle. Right. Uh and that drives home the gospel. <laughs> right. As opposed to his, uh, you know, um but uh well this is a good conversation um you want to do switch and do a a fun round of christmas questions sure let's do it um none of these are good i just looked some up uh in the past we've done (laughs) like steven and i did we did a christmas that we went through our like our favorite christmas movies um my list maybe has changed since then what's the last christmas movie you watched die hard okay okay (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) Actually, no, that's not true. That's not true. Dar was two ago. We just watched Jingle
0: All the Way. Okay, and that's why you made a reference to it. Uh, yep, exactly. Uh, the last Christmas movie we watched what was um, we watched. Um, I watched Muppets Christmas Carol. My wife was taking a nap. <laughs> we watched uh, Violent Night. Uh, which I recommended to you. <laughs> uh,
1: I'm I'm planning on I'm planning on watching that in the next. It's in the theaters,
0: but in. we read, we paid money to rent it on Prime, and um, it was uh it was dumb ultimately, but uh, it was had a lot of fun parts just because it was an action movie and it was Santa. It was like I went on Letterbox to rate it, mm-hmm. and someone commented, "It's the diehardification of Home Alone." So I guess if you're just sounds down, amazing. there's like booby traps, getting bad guys. And then there's Santa as like, kind of like
1: the John McClane <laughs> character in it. It's David Harbor, right? From stranger things.
0: Yeah, it is him. Yeah. And they really, uh, I couldn't tell at first. That's how well they turned him into a, uh, to Santa Claus. That's awesome. um, <laughs> gosh, all these, some of these are deep questions of the Christmas is a time of year. When we look back to the past, how is this helpful? And how is this not? I feel like we kind of talked about that this episode. Sure. Uh, t- check out this question. Does the birth of Jesus play a part in your Christmas? Why or why not? Well, <laughs> I think we answered that one. Um, right. Um, I need to find some more lighthearted ones. We've had we've already had enough heavy discussion. Um I really can't find any. I guess so much for that speed round. Um. <laughs> well
1: you know you and Steven have the chance to talk about your top 5 Christmas Go movies. Go ahead give us your top 5 Christmas I, movies. You know it's a it's a controversial list um because not everyone's going to agree that these are Christmas movies but um, you know everyone has the right to be wrong as I mm-hmm. like to say. Um, so number 1 is Lethal Weapon.
0: That is an awesome movie. Yep. Lovely. The first one.
1: The first one. The first, first one is, is explicitly Christmas. Um, the others, not so much. But yeah, um, Lethal Weapon is number one. Die Hard is number two. Uh, number three is Batman Returns.
0: Hey, that is, yeah, Christmas movie. Yep,
1: it is. And it's Tim Burton. So, you know, that's, that's also got its own idiosyncrasies. Um, number four is uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. And number five is Jingle All the Way. <laughs> i would it, it just barely edged out home alone home alone is you know it's five or six depending on the day today jingle all the way is number five
0: you know i would definitely put of tim burton i would definitely put nightmare before christmas on a top five before i put sorry batman returns i i but love a comic nerd keaton. as we remember yeah so. i love the first keaton batman yeah. my brother and i we we rewatched together batman returns a few years ago and i was like wow this is not as good as i remember i feel like it was like i remember it being like atmospherically just a really cool movie to watch and it is but it's like oh so many of the lines were so cheesy which i guess is okay in in a certain sense with a superhero movie but oh um... yeah totally (laughs)
1: totally
0: um whatever that episode was with it was one of our first uh well it might have changed uh i think christmas uh carol both the muppet one and the alistair sim the old black and white from the fifth both would be on there die hard would be on there i love it's a wonderful life a lot i don't know if it would you know be on the top five you know that's a great theology in that one it's been a long time since i've seen it but it's uh
1: my, my personal favorite is uh every time a bell rings an angel gets its wings yeah isn't that from it's a wonderful life
0: yeah and then there's also yon tetzel also said uh every time uh, the coffer <laughs> rings, <laughs> the 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 rings. From, rings the soul yeah. from purgatory <laughs> yeah
1: my my uh, my inner luther is triggered every time <laughs> i hear a rhyme <laughs> about something ringing yeah uh,
0: um yeah uh oh yeah home alone is is might be on the top five though that would because it's so and john williams music like makes that movie Oh sure. <laughs> it really does. Sure. Um well, uh this is a good episode, good conversation. I'm hoping that for our listeners, I mean, um, sometime, you know, I, I want to do more episodes like this where we kind of open up about what uh you know what, what we do in our ministry and what you know we like to preach about and or you know how we like to preach. And um hopefully it was good, um, good substance for um those on christmas to to for us to really dive into what christmas is why it matters um so uh for our listeners we'll have we're supposed to be doing our next hymns episode very soon our hymns i think part four yep um and so um we look forward to having y'all tune in for that so god bless and everyone have a merry christmas